as of last week, as you know, I'm officially middle-aged. Is that officially? 40 is officially middle-aged? Is 40 middle-aged? I feel like it is. I mean, I guess if you're... I don't know what the average life expectancy is for... Oh, yeah, that's true. Remember when when we were kids and, like, our parents turned 40? It was like they were over the hill. (laughs) No, that was technically 50. I think 50 was technically where you bought the black balloons and you... The black balloons! You decorated the cake with, like, tombstones and stuff. Oh, my God. We, we don't do that anymore, right? That's not a thing. Is that I, a thing I hope still? it's not a thing. <laughs> I hope so, too. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. I have a week off, and so it's really nice to get caught up. When was the last time you had a week off? I don't know that I've had a full week off since the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd have to look at my calendar, but it feels like a long time. That's intense. Yeah. <laughs> but you know... We consider ourselves successful for hustling all the time, right? (laughs) That's how you know you've made it. (laughs) All the joy and satisfaction comes from never taking a break. (laughs) That's what we're told. Yeah, I can't do that anymore. I Mm -hmm. can't physically, mentally. But I don't take a lot of breaks either, as you know. I did take a break last week. I was in Arizona. Right, for your birthday. Turning 40. (laughs) Nice. It was good. It was really low key. And I told you, my sister, she's just the queen of like crafting birthday celebrations, celebrations of any kind. She's just. That's so special. Oh, yeah. It's such a skill. She's so good at it. I remember when we, when I got married, she just went all out with my bachelorette party. It was just so much fun. She just really went all out. And then I was just panicking. I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to make her bachelor party as fun as as mine was because I don't have this skill. This is not a skill of mine. I love people. I love to spend time with people. I love a good time. I don't know how to craft, like decorate a place and find the activities that that person's going to love the most or the gift that they're going to appreciate the most. Or That's a skill. That's yeah. a real skill. Oh, yeah. Yeah. requires a type of thoughtfulness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm terrible at that. I don't know why. What about you? Are you good at that? I bet uh, you're good at that. No? No, no I am <laughs> I not like, good at that. I feel like you do great with the girls' birthdays. I do okay, but I never feel like I have it all figured out and like the perfect thing for them to do or the perfect gift. I always admire that about people who are able to do that. Where you're like, really nailed it. You yeah. really nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Or something really, really thoughtful that takes extra time. And no, I'm, I'm definitely a last minute type person. Yeah, totally. Welcome to the Viola Centric Podcast. We are two curious violists finding inspiration through authentic and challenging conversations in the professional music world. I'm Liz. And I'm Steph. Let's jump in the deep end. We have very exciting news, which is that we officially hired an editor. Oh my gosh. Emily McMahon, who is just, well, first of all, she's just a really cool person. We gave her a shout out on Instagram. You can find her account. She's got a band that she plays with and she shreds on electric guitar. (laughs) That's pretty rad. (laughs) Totally rad. And also she's just been a 
just so helpful. It's just such a good fit. So yeah, when you find the right person, it's just such a load off because you don't have to worry about managing that person. They just do what you need them to do. And they almost just intuit what you need them to do. Yes. And I feel like we found that with Emily. So I hope that she sticks around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't ever leave us. We don't scare her away. Don't ever leave us, Emily. You guys better send lots of reviews and lots of comments about how excellent the editing is because we need to keep her around. She's she special. Needs to, she needs to know how special she is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We've been watching this show on Peacock called Poker Face. Oh, with Natasha oh, Leone. I love Natasha Leone and I have been meaning to start that. Is it good? It's good. Is she like perfectly quirky? Oh, she's amazing. <laughs> She's so good. Each episode is a different story about how she uses this special talent that she has. But it's just so smart. Mm -hmm. And I just love the way that she talks and the way like the words that she uses are always absolutely perfect for whatever situation is going on. I just really dig her. And I get the feeling that she's improvising a lot of this stuff. Like Mm -hmm. it's how she would actually talk. I don't know her, but I just imagine that that's what she's like. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, even back to the, I think American Pie is the first thing I ever saw her in. Uh And I remember thinking she was just the chick that was just like doing her own thing. She was like perfectly comfortable in her own skin, wearing headphones at the prom. Uh-huh. Yes, she really is very authentic. So thinking about why I liked her so much, even back then, it's like she's, I envy that ability to just like say whatever you need to say and not care what other people think about what you're saying or what you're doing or what you're wearing. You know, that's a, yeah, that's what's a skill. That life? <laughs> Actually, I don't even know if it's a skill or if it's just how some people are just born that way. I don't know. Mm. I'm working on it. <laughs> I think we all are. Right? I think that's how we all kind of just evolve. You know how some older folks are just like really abrasive? (laughs) I think I'm coming to realize that that's the way that I hope that I am. You know, (laughs) I just hope that I say whatever the the heck I want to say whenever I want to say it, because the stakes are like, who cares by now? (laughs) Zero Fs to give, right? Right, right. That's right. Absolutely. Yep, like Betty on Mozart in the Jungle. <laughs> yeah, so if you haven't, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're doing a, a bonus series where we're watching the first season of Mozart in the Jungle and recapping each episode. And we're just kind of watching it with the innocence of never having watched it before. So <laughs> if you're into that kind of thing, that's what we're talking about. And it's really, it's really fun to watch and discover that together. It's been, it's been very entertaining. I was also going to share that I don't have a show recommendation right now, but I do have a movie recommendation, which oh, it's The Menu. Have you seen it? No, I've heard about this movie, though. Oh, my God. Did you I watch would, it? I absolutely okay. recommend it. It's dark, but it's okay. funny. Uh, to me, it felt a little like a revenge fantasy. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. I, What's the premise? We start by seeing this couple. We don't know anything about them, and we don't know anything about anybody else. But they're about to get on a chartered boat to go to this remote island where there's this renowned chef, and he 
only serves a limited number of people this like x course meal mm-hmm. it, they pay an exorbitant amount of money to go on this dining experience and so it's like all the different characters that would do something like that like you have this rich older couple and you have this nicholas hole too i knew from about a boy but now he's all grown up and <laughs> Mm-hmm. He he plays like the super foodie, snobby, super ridiculous, says mouthfeel and things like that. Oh, God. <laughs> there's a food critic and her like sycophant. And then there's the chef who's Ray Fiennes. Mm-hmm. And he's so good. He's so good. And then the staff in the restaurant. I don't want to say too much about it because it's so good. It hits all the notes. <laughs> I love it. All the tasting notes. <laughs> Speaking of a tasty morsel. <laughs> what? <laughs> Emily, cut that out. <laughs> I'm going to start crying. Oh. <laughs> okay, how does one appropriately segue? <laughs> the conversation was a tasty morsel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, oh, we're not gonna be able to... I'm still trying to think of something. You can't. You just have to let it be. <laughs> let it be. Awkward segues included. That's what you love us for. Morsels for thought. That was my best shot at a very creative segue. <laughs> Ooh. No, but seriously, this conversation was amazing. It was great for many, many reasons. Joe Conyers, he's just a delight. Number one, he's so easy to talk to, so relatable, and he's so willing to just be vulnerable and frank with you right off the bat, which is a very rare quality. And he's just obviously done a lot of thinking about what the benefits of an education in music are and how to make your life better just for having music involved in Mm -hmm. your life. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that makes any sense, but (laughs) I like it. It does make sense. He has a really innate, deep passion for this idea of music being a vehicle for people to connect more deeply with their lives and for it to empower them to do other things. And I think that's very evident in the work he's done with his project, Project 440. He really got me thinking about people who are visionary thinkers and what their role is in the world. Because I think so many of us have ideas and visions for what we want with the field and and where we want classical music to exist in our communities. And maybe it's not even about that. Maybe it's just something else you have this grand idea about, you feel passionately, but you don't understand how to put all the nuts and bolts together. You know, you're you're not quite sure where to start. And so you just have these ideas that circulate, and they don't go anywhere. Yep. And I think He provides a really clear example of he had this vision, he started building the team, he put a lot of work into it at the start, and now it's built into this ecosystem that he gets to just be the person who continues to provide vision to a bunch of other people that are involved in that organization and and as passionate about what he's doing as he is. Yeah. And I think that he would tell you, I don't know if we got into this in the conversation, but I think he would tell you that you just have to start. Yes. (laughs) And it's not going to be perfect. Yes. And I think that's what holds a lot of us back. Yes. Speaking to myself. 
totally projects. <laughs> totally. And the other thing too, I think this is important to say. I think sometimes the fear of not making money at it holds a lot of musicians back, particularly because mm. our time is so limited and to put all kinds of energy into projects and not know what the outcome is going to be. That can be, I think, a deterrent. But even with that in mind, if there's something that someone feels passionate about, you'll never know if it's something you should make money at or if it's something that's just a passion project. You'll never know unless you just do it. Right. That's absolutely true. It all goes to what we're learning through the artist's way in that group and just almost just giving it over to the universe. Like, Mm -hmm. universe, I'll take care of the quantity and you take care of the quality. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to do work and trust that it will find the right path and that I will find the right path through doing that creative work. It's hard to get over that hump, though. But clearly, Joe, Joseph, Joe, as we affectionately call him, because we're friends now. (laughs) BFFs. We're friends with Forever. (laughs) He's the best. But I think that's what he, in order to start something, you have to start something. Yeah, absolutely. And so we didn't mention this on his episode. We just, we were so engrossed in conversation that we didn't get to some of the detail information. So we promised that we would mention that you can find information about Project 440 at Project 440, that's 440.org. And of course, Joseph talks about that in the conversation you're about to hear, but that way you can find it online if need be. And we'll put everything in the notes as well. Mm -hmm. So you can find that resource. But I, yeah, it was just such a lovely conversation. It was wonderful from start to finish. You're going to love it. So enjoy this conversation with Joe Conyers. Being freelance musicians means gigging in lots of different places with very unpredictable lighting situations. Oh my gosh, yes. How many times have you shown up to a church gig and wondered if you'll actually be able to see the music by showtime? Many times. Or it's a cocktail hour in a restaurant with ambient mood lighting at best. (laughs) We've all been there and have used those alien looking bendy lights that only light up the top of the page so that by the bottom of the music, you're sometimes just guessing or maybe we'll call it being creative. We didn't know it at the time, but the Aria lights could have saved us lots of eye strain and unplanned improvisation. Yes, and with a rechargeable battery that lasts eight hours, you'll never have to carry backup double A's in your case. You'll just charge it up at home and take the Aria light to your gig. The battery will even hold a charge for years between uses, not that you would go that long. Thank you so much to Aria lights for their support this season. Please check them out at ariolights.com. Located in a historic mansion in Tacoma Park, Maryland, you might get the impression that the team at Potter Violins are as formal as the breathtaking building that they work in. But when you go inside, instead you'll find the most relatable, skilled, and friendly staff. Yes, the people at Potter's are what really make it a special place. I love visiting because I know that whoever I work with is not going to make me feel like I'm crazy or just being picky. They're kind of like your favorite bartender. They're great listeners who give you what you need without judgment. (laughs) Yes, their technicians are not only super talented creators, 
creative and resourceful. They take the time to collaborate with you so that the process of getting your instrument at its best really feels like a partnership. So if you're in the area, definitely stop by and introduce yourself to Chris, Rob, Kimberly, Derek, Jim, Melissa, and the whole team, or visit potterviolins.com to find what you need online. It's so fitting then that their shop is in this beautiful old house because the staff at Potter's really makes it feel like home. Season three is sponsored by the Arkrest. You know, Liz and I are always being asked about our Arkrests and we're happy to share how much we love them. The freedom of movement has been life-changing for me. Me too. And I love how using the Arkrest allows my instrument to vibrate fully. And depending on how my body's feeling, I can also change the placement of the bass. Although Aaron and Tigran started the company in their home workshop, they've come a long way, continuing to innovate by experimenting with harder and softer woods and even new materials like fiberglass. There are bases for violin, viola, and even for small fractional instruments. And there are foam pads of different thicknesses, so you can find one that fits your body or instrument perfectly. And the guys over at Arcrest are sharing a special discount code for our listeners. Use the code VIOLACENTRIC for 10% off anything on their site. Yes, check out their offerings at thearcrest.com. That's T-H-E-A-R-C-R-E-S-T.com. And don't forget to use the code VIOLACENTRIC. Our guest today is American bassist Joseph Conyers. And since Steph and I, if you don't know, we love a good classical musician's bio, I wanted to start by sharing a quote from the Grand Rapids Press, who describes Joseph as a lyrical musician who plays with authenticity that transcends mere technique. Oh, transcends. That appears in lots of classical music bios. <laughs> yeah, transcendence is very important very, in our world. Very big. <laughs> <laughs> but those are high praises. Uh, mm -hmm. Joseph was appointed assistant principal bassist of the Philadelphia Orchestra in 2010, and he has been acting associate principal since 2017. In addition to his orchestra career, he has performed as a soloist in several orchestras and is an artist of the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center. Joseph is also an avid mentor and music educator, currently holding faculty positions at the Juilliard School and my alma mater, Temple University. Go Owls! In 2010, Joseph founded the nonprofit music-based program, Project 440. This project aims to provide young musicians with the tools to help them use their passion for music to fuel their purpose in life. To describe everything that Joseph has going on would probably take up our entire conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but we are so incredibly grateful and honored for that reason that you have carved out some time for us in your crazy busy schedule. Welcome to the Viola Centric Podcast, Joseph. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. It's very exciting. It's so good. Go Violas. Yay! <laughs> I feel like violists and bassists, we have something going on. You know, we're both like kind of right. laid back personalities totally. easygoing that's right yeah. totally no it's great i was just gonna say that was a thing we we just had a conversation about that at a concert this weekend i was playing like a bassist was like hey i heard you on a bass podcast and it was a violist colleague of mine i was like yeah there's some overlap right <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think we play such integral roles in the orchestra but in the grand scheme of things we don't get that much attention <laughs> i think <laughs> we, that there's that camaraderie that that is built 
from all the work that we do to, to make everyone else look good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's so true. It's like, you know, we always, we always think of ourselves in the viola section as like the heartbeat, you know, but you also need feet to walk on. Right? Like, <laughs> and man, there's nothing, there's nothing more reliable than a solid bass section. Like if you're ever oh in gosh. doubt, if you just follow the bases, you are in good shape. You know, like, my favorite place to sit is in the back row. Same. Violist right up against the bases. Same. Love it. Yeah. It's fun. I love having, yeah, the Philadelphia Orchestra Viola section right in front of us. Although it's ironic because we just had rehearsals with Bloomstedt, 96-year-old Bloomstedt, which is amazing. Uh, we're doing Bruckner 4 <gasps> and all those great viola solos. Yes. Uh, and, and the violas aren't in front of us. So I get to watch them this time. So. Oh. Um, but yeah, that's that's always a great treat. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I feel that should be like the viola national anthem is Bruckner. Bruckner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's absolutely one of them. No question about it. And it's, it's funny because muted viola is the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Viola's, Viola's best when muted. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, best when muted. Uh, it's funny too to think about like one of the greatest section solos of all time for, by a composer whose string players generally are like meh. <laughs> That's right. Good job, That's Brooke. Right. You gave us that shining moment. I greatly appreciate that. In a total twist of subject, <laughs> we were laughing a lot about this. We couldn't help but notice that you mentioned in your bio that this is totally unmusic related, just a heads up, that you love following the weather. I do. And even using weather clef as your Instagram handle. Um, so I wanted to share this like quick anecdote for our listeners. It's common knowledge among my close friends and family, but I think it's the first time I've ever said it in a recording. One of my favorite <laughs> movies of all time is Twister. And... <laughs> <laughs> like how can you go wrong with bill paxton and philip seymour hoffman and dusty crew like looking for tornadoes and studying them <laughs> and i had this sliding doors vision of my life as being a meteorologist i'm really into the weather too i'm oh, like oh wow into it. i love it so um, i love it <laughs> yeah I, I kind of think maybe one day I could have been a Helen Hunt. I could have been like in the truck with all the dudes, like chasing the. What do you love about that for you? What, what's, what fascinates you and, and how do you follow it? I think it's both the mystery and the power. Mm. That's what it is. We don't know, but whatever it does could literally change, if not take, lies. It, was, it gave it that sort of majesty to me. I would not have been chasing tornadoes. I have enough respect for Mother Nature and tornadoes to know <laughs> not to try to get in their way. To have to drive through I a cornfield to the middle of it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At some point in this life, I wouldn't mind seeing one from a safe distance away. I think that would be pretty incredible. But I, I always loved hurricanes. Growing up on the East Coast, the Southeast Coast of the United States, hurricanes are kind of where, where it's at for me. One, you know they're coming. Mm -hmm. They don't just sneak up on you, but just the power and the beauty. They're so beautiful. They're so beautiful. When you get the strongest storms and then you add the fact that in the middle of the strongest and the most terrifying, that the sky it's is calm. clear, yeah. it's calm. It's, it's overwhelming to me. Mm -hmm. Ever since I was a little kid, I literally worshiped our local meteorologist, Pat Prokop. I would do weather reports. I took weather training. He would say my name on the news, doing rain reports. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I, I was totally so a little much. National Weather Service storm spotter <laughs> <laughs> in Chatham <Yes>. County. <laughs> <laughs> I love that 
so much. It's amazing. That's absolutely. Uh, so yeah. what's your favorite weather app? Do you trust any of them? Ooh, that's a great question. Maybe let's pose that to your audience because I need a good weather app. Honestly, you seriously, you don't have an opinion? They're bad. Okay. I, I, they're all right, bad. All right. yeah. So I do, I do get a little busy. So I maybe I've not done a deep dive <laughs> like any any legit meteorologist would do <laughs> on what the best <laughs> meteorological weather app that exists that could work for me. Maybe I haven't done that. So if there's anyone in your audience who has done that and could let me know, hit me up on uh, on on, okay, on Instagram. You heard it here. Oh, I love okay. this so much. Are so. you the person in the orchestra that everybody's like? Hey, what's what's going on with this front? Are we going to get this snowstorm or what? I did get a lot of that. Um, <laughs> not so much recently because we haven't had a lot of snow yeah. in the last few years. No big storms really in the last few years. But when I was at Curtis, for sure, I was known as the... I would wear a red sweater if there was a winter storm warning so everyone knew that. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. I was to not weather reports. I totally did. Because <laughs> why not? Why not? Oh, I love this. I, can't, I could not love that more. That's Literally. amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. So we mentioned social media and how you even yes. chose Weatherclef as your social media handle. How did you get started? Has social media always been like a big part of your personality? Because we know that you use it for mentorship purposes and you think that it's very integral in connecting with young musicians. So sure. how did you get into that? And tell us about social medias in your life. The funny thing is, I'm not that much of a social media person. Stop. You are. (laughs) Your 44,000 followers say different. (laughs) Joe. You got me there. Um, No, so social media to me, and I feel like it still is, particularly more in the TikTok world, I don't like the camera facing me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like in life, I don't like the camera facing me. I like the fake camera facing out and I like to make everything better around me, but it doesn't have to be about me. And I feel like a lot of social media is about me. Mm-hmm. So there are two things with Instagram. One is I had a student who was like, Mr. Conyers, you should post videos. And I used to post videos every blue moon on my account. But he was like, you know, you should do them more regular. People really like them. I'm like, really? So I started doing it. And sure enough, lo and behold, people seem to like them. That's one. Two, I realized that it gave me an opportunity to be of service or be of help or be of encouragement to other folks around the world. And the thing they say about a good social media account is just being your authentic self. Right. So I just was me and this is me and I like to make these videos and I came up with these crazy hashtags over the pandemic mm-hmm. and those things are fun. And I do enjoy doing those things and getting people to follow and, and engage in that way. But the ability of, for me to share a bit of myself musically, but also some expertise I might have that folks who may not have resources to get such training and that kind of information to be able to be in their hand, literally in their hand, mm. and then have them write me questions from around the world. Oh, I saw you do this. What kind of strings do you use? What what bow do you have? What what kind of bass is normal? And just being able to engage. And I always found that I love educating. So that was a natural, a natural fit. And I've enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. When we all grew up, you would think about the associate principal of Philly Orchestra as being this person who's completely inaccessible, right? It's like, unless you go to this yeah. prestigious school and right. you're one of the 10 Master lucky class, people who get whatever, to play for yeah, him yeah. in lessons. Yeah. 
you don't get that opportunity. And now this forum has created accessibility in a way for for someone who has so much influence to really make a positive influence on people all over the world. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about social media that maybe doesn't get acknowledged enough on that bigger platform. We all know the disconnect that can be created from a virtual world and how important it is to maintain those senses of community in person and to not allow our worlds to get super isolated. But at the same time, there's so many things you can learn from that experience. And I love the community of musicians who use it for that purpose, who use it for information and sharing. And there's someone curious that wants to know about the life you have. And and you make yourself available for that, which is a generous thing. No, thank you for saying that, Liz, because actually that's a really a huge point. Because I'm from a smaller town. Mm -hmm. It's not a small, small town. But compared to Philadelphia, it is a small town. (laughs) But (laughs) compared to other towns, it could be on the bigger side. And that's Savannah, Georgia. And I had my folks locally who are very helpful and supportive. But you're right. For those in orchestras, like, I mean, I remember going to BUTI, Boston University Tango Institute, uh, and seeing the Boston Symphony. And it's just like, I do love this about my platform to show that, no, I'm a pretty just normal person, I think. I, by my own summation, I think I'm pretty normal and approachable and willing to help and willing to um, provide assistance where needed. Because you think about all these people like literally across the world who wouldn't have access to this kind of information. So you're you're really giving them like a backstage pass. Almost. <laughs> and no, and they and they let me know from literally all around the world. It's amazing. I did, for example, I have a big South American contingent following, and I was in Guayaquil, Ecuador, playing the Esmeraldas Festival, and I walked into an orchestra rehearsal of the Guayaquil Symphony, and I walk in, and all these people are like, and they're like pointing because they recognize me from Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> That's the guy from Instagram, not like, oh, that's the guy who plays in Philly Orchestra. (laughs) So it's crazy. And then all these people want to take pictures. And like, I do love that. Not because, again, it's not about me. It's the fact that there's this larger family and that the the things I'm putting out there, people are finding as a resource. So it's, it's gratifying in that way. Yeah. This dovetails so nicely into a big topic that is unique to you and your project 440. We like to do this every once in a while. I want to quote you back to you. And I just also want to mention this to anybody who's listening that isn't familiar with Joseph or hasn't seen this on your website. I love that you have this way of listing your bio in terms of it seems almost like some of your values. And so those values include passion, purpose, mentorship, and action and perseverance, which it's just brilliant to kind of ground yourself in those kinds of things. We both love that so much. So this is a quote referencing sort of the origin of Project 440. Although I had attained an amazing career as a professional musician, I believe there is more to life than just being a great musician. Throughout my life, I've always felt I was put on this earth to make the world a better place. If nothing else, the world has shown me that the earlier we make an impact in someone's life, the greater the influence we can have in creating positive change in that person's life. And that is just so beautifully worded. Tell us about Project 440. Yeah. From your own yeah, words. I mean, <laughs> sure. And, and, where, and where that comes from, how you came to this yeah. feeling about your purpose, one of the big yeah. things of your purpose. Yeah. So I'm getting, as one might say, a little long in the tooth. And as I, as, as I get older. No, we're not. And start looking. <laughs> Stop saying that about me. <laughs> But it's true. As I get older, I can actually reflect on parts of my life where 
and I hope this resonates with someone. There, there are psychologists and professionals who are beginning to come up with terminology, things like belonging, uncertainty. But it's very easy to feel like, one, I don't belong. Two, who am I to have an opinion? Anything I say can't make any real difference in the world. So I'm just going to cower in my corner and just try to survive. And I, that's something I told young people that's absolutely not the case. And you actually have way more power than you ever could imagine. But the reason I bring all this up is because I grew up in the South. I grew up in a traditional Black Baptist church. Our congregation was located between two housing projects in Savannah, Georgia. And my whole life, Every day, I mean, we were at church every day. We might get a day off a week, maybe. A day off. <laughs> and, and, then, and on Sundays, we were there like two or three times a day, not making this up. So church was a very big part of the family growing up. And in that, the question was always, how can we be of service to the people around us? What are we doing so that we can provide opportunity to others? Now, I get older, I go to college, I'm like, of course, this is just the way people think. Of course, this is what everyone is thinking. I mean, I'm in the South, there's this patriotism and we're working for each other and we're helping each other. This is the way the world is supposed to work. Boy, was I in for a surprise. Because <laughs> unfortunately, it's not the way the world works. Right. So for me, I, I found an opportunity in Project 440 and be able to use my gift of music, use my love of music as a tool to inspire other young people and provide opportunities where they may not otherwise get those opportunities. Project 440 isn't about creating more musicians, but these musicians who go through Project 440 will likely be better people, and not only better people, they'll make a way for themselves, but in making that way for themselves, they'll be looking for a way to make a way for someone else, for others. Wow. That's the core of our work. We like to say at Project Before You were music education done differently. We use the skills inherent in music making, collaboration, the passion to do it, the dedication. We use all those skills and we built a curriculum in creating these model 21st century citizens. We do college and career on one end where we have speakers and a, a amazing college and career counselor who works with. This is all high school students in an after school delivery. And then our one of our most intense programs is a program called Doing Good, which is in a lot of ways, a social entrepreneurship course where students learn what entrepreneurship is. They learn to assess the needs of a community and then they see how could they be of influence and change in making that thing better. We provide them with seed money to do projects in their communities. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, our guppy tank, we call it the guppy tank because Shark Tank was taken. Uh, and we did, we, DM, yeah. <laughs> and, and we thought Shark was too intimidating, so we thought Guppy would be a little bit, bit le less intimidating. Cute. Where the students present their projects before industry professionals, and then in the second half of the course, they are charged with bringing those projects into the community. Some of those projects are ongoing from our first iteration of this five, six years ago. They've become their own nonprofits themselves or put together their own boards or doing their own fundraising. It's just really, really exciting to see what happens when you just empower young people. So in this case, music really is the tool. And again, if those musicians go on to become classical musicians, and that's the other thing, we're genre agnostic. So it's not about classical, but let's say they do want to go into classical. They will enter the classical music space saying, I have this gift. How can I be of service to whatever I'm working with? There's chamber music and orchestra and education. How can we provide more opportunities for others? In this way, if we can get the whole world thinking this way, I think we can make it a better place.
one viola string at a time. (laughs) (laughs) When you were growing up in Savannah, would you have been excited about a program like this? Yes. Yeah. I'm at the point now I can speak for myself. (laughs) Looking at young people going through the industry and all these conservatories do assessments and they do surveys about what did you wish you had? And most of them like, I wish you gave me tools so I could actually live in this world. You literally taught me... I'll give you an A, you get an A for teaching me how to play my instrument and an F for everything Everything else. else. Oh my gosh. So true. (laughs) It's so true. And And we've been saying it for decades now. That's right. And the thing is, it's weird, y'all, because you have the teachers who are really, their brains are like, I think Mozart and Beethoven, 28 hours a day, and my students are only going to be able to do that. And if they do anything else, it's going to take away from that. Mm. And I will challenge all those teachers and say, honestly, if you broaden your students' horizons, they might play their Beethoven and their Mozart better. Absolutely. And it will give them a sense of purpose when playing that Beethoven and Mozart. Yeah. Because if you aren't connecting with your with the people around you or your audiences, it's almost like if a tree falls in the forest, doesn't make a sound. Yes. Literally. Yes. So like, what are we doing? And why is it so isolated <laughs> from our community? That is correct. Mm-hmm. That is correct. I think I would have eaten a program like this because I'm kind of entrepreneurial myself. And the idea that I can do something that would make something better and be helpful. Those are my thoughts on that. I realized I didn't quite finish Project Before the, end of the Description, so I'm going to do very quickly yeah. The last two programs, yes, we yeah. have we have our annual college fair. Be on the lookout if you live in the Northeast. Uh, it's become a bit of a hit here in Philadelphia at the Kimmel Center for the Performing Arts. We've had as many as 50 to 60 colleges from all around the country to come right to Philadelphia to meet our students right here in Center City, Philadelphia. Wow. We also have seminars and programs that run concurrent with the fair that students and parents can attend to learn even more about the process and learn about their possibilities, not only in music, but the different and the vast opportunities of being just in music might be able to take you, if even if you don't want to play professionally. And then finally, we have a Youth Advocacy Council, which is a youth governance board, where they learn everything about governance and board governance and running an organization. But they also provide to Project for 40 critical information right from the students themselves. So much so that they elect one of their own to serve on our board of directors. So they actually sit in the room with the board to help us in our decision-making and making sure we're creating a program that meets their needs and not just something that makes us feel good about what we're doing. I mean, we want to feel good too, but we want to also make sure we're meeting the needs of the community and the students that we're serving. I'm sure that as professionals, you get challenged sometimes by one of their perspectives. Bring it on. (laughs) Bring it on. It's the best. I love working with high school students because generally most of them, when they're younger, they're kind of more shy. But when they're in high school, a lot them don't mind speaking their mind and it's the best thing and honestly to have their voice at the table i wish i could bring them to the tables of some of these national institutions that feel they are doing work and help for communities that need them when they may not actually be doing that work in the way that actually helps the community. And so I love young people for that. And they're super honest, even when it hurts, but they're super honest (laughs) and and I thrive on that. Yeah, I really do. I love that too. Talking with my high school students is like, oh, I remember when I was that idealistic. (laughs) You know, before it's like beaten out of you by life. I just love that you're just trying to foster that and keep that alive as much as as possible because that is really, these these are the kids that are going to change things. These are the Absolutely. the next voices that we need to be nurturing. And they need to know that they can. Yep. Yeah. 
They need to know that they can and be encouraged yeah. to just go for it. I always tell people there is zero reason why I should be associate principal bass of the Philadelphia Orchestra. Like zero. Not given where my parents came from, not given the community I like there's basically zero reason except for people gave me opportunity and they allowed me to dream big. Mm. I just followed my dream and I kept going. And people kept saying, go, Joe, go, Joe, go. And that's, that's what so many young people, that's all they need yeah. is to get that kind of inspiration and to let them know that, yes, you can. Yes, you can have a crazy idea. And so one of the things I talked to my students about, there was a campaign for the Philadelphia Orchestra and it failed. Went womp, 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 like it was a big bust. And the campaign was around 2010. You can Google this. I'm bringing <laughs> it back though, y'all. I'm going to bring, bring it, it back. Burn. I am bringing it back. Yes. It was called... Are you ready? Yeah. Unexpect yourself. <laughs> and they put this over they put this over everything. And I think it just confused most people. Like, no, no one knew what was going on. Like, wait. <laughs> I can read the intent. Like I understand what they're trying right. to do, but I can also be like, no, okay. nope, it just falls flat. I say, you know what? When I'm speaking to young people, I think it works. Because the thing is, if you work hard enough, you really might just unexpect yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. feel like that, that is literally my life. Yes. <laughs> because you just don't know. Even when I was at Curtis, I never imagined I'd be playing on the stage of the Philadelphia Orchestra. I wanted it. And so what did I do? I just worked. I just worked hard and say, this is what I'm going to do. I worked hard. I sacrificed. I lived in a place where my mom saw it. She goes, I didn't raise a son to live in a place like this. <laughs> oh, mom. I had but an apartment like that in Philly, too. I, I, is that a rite of passage up there? <laughs> Your parents come and they're like. <laughs> Who wants to hear it from you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's no, right. But, but I did it. Did. And I lean in. Yeah. And it just young people, they just know that if you have the right people behind you, if you have the right resources and you can lean in, you actually might unexpect yourself. So again, I'm bringing it back. I love it. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Let's do it. Because I have to say that has been part of maybe the biggest shift. And I think Stephanie can probably relate to this too. This idea that you start to do something. First of all, you do something unexpected that you don't yeah. never saw yourself doing. And it opens up possibilities for your life in ways that you would not have expected. So yeah, unexpect yourself. That's great. <laughs> and, <laughs> and to twist it around on the other side, the expectations we hold for ourselves mm -hmm. in this field in particular are often detrimental, actually, to our progress. Yeah, correct. And I was just going to say, that's something else to kind of pick at from your work in Project 440, which is it's shifting what's important about music to these kids. So even if they decide to go into classical music, this element of elite perfectionism in their playing is no longer the reason they're going to go for that golden ring. They have purpose behind why they want to do this career. And I think that's probably hard to tell right now the effects that that could have culturally in the people yeah. who are going into this work as young people today. It's just very, Liz, it's very different. That's nail on head. That is so nail on head. I mean, that's the epitome of it. When talking about music education in general, and that's the thing, and I feel like I have a bit of a platform to say this as a classical musician, someone who's dedicated their life to classical music. I love Beethoven, Mozart, Brahms. Brahms is my favorite composer, all that fun stuff, yada, yada, yada. But when we talk about music education, traditionally it's been about, so kids can learn about Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms. And it's like, no, music is, yes, they can learn about Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms. I think it's great. Again, mm -hmm. I, I'm a musician, I get it. But 
literally, what if we talked about music as something that could make better people, period. That's our, our, our conversation about teaching kids to work collaboratively, teaching kids to come to a consensus and make compromise. Because in decision-making, that's what orchestras are. We compromise all the time. There are a lot of people, I mean, you played in orchestras. I'm going to make a guess. I know everyone is different. But there are some orchestras where you, I'm sure you played with people where you may not actually ever hang out with them ever in life, ever for zero reason. <laughs> However, in that moment, on that stage, you're working collaboratively to make this beautiful product. Yep. And that is the way how the world can work. And that is a narrative we can use in music about how and why music is important. Again, they'll learn the scales. They'll learn Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms. And you know what? I would say the sports world has it on, on, on top of us. Yep. That's right. 100%. <laughs> um, yep. They know how to market sports and talk about that yep. as the importance of sports because kids learn to work together. Yeah. Yep. And we, but we're still stuck on Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms. I don't get it. I don't, that's, it just baffles me. Well, I think part of the <laughs> part of the conversation is that we're so focused on productivity. Like, what are you going to do for work? How are you going to make right. money? And so everything that we teach our kids is funneling them into this. And when the truth is that when you are doing something that has value outside of being productive, of making money, then the money will come, the job will come. Yeah. But it's fostering that passion and that artistic intent. And everybody's an artist. Everybody is right. an artist on right. some level. And right. fostering this would make our world a, definitely a better and more inclusive place instead of yeah. just focusing on, okay, how can you earn money in this yeah. society. Right. And well, that's the thing. The kids need to know that they can just play to play. Yes. That's it. Yes. It's like kids, kids go out and play basketball. I mean, I don't think every kid who's on a basketball court it is, is gonna, like, I'm going to be, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go yes, into the NBA. Exactly. Like, yeah. Every second they're on the basketball court and they, they have the worst. They have people yelling at them saying, no, you aren't dribbling right. No, you did that layup wrong. No, you Yeah. <laughs> and that's just, so they're just right. playing for yes. fun. Yeah. yeah. They're just playing for fun. So why can't we, we nurture? Not only a sea of young musicians and young people who play for fun, who will then be eventual concert attenders and donors and board members and patrons and supporters of the arts because they realize the importance of play. Yeah. And I think that's at the, the heart of play, it. Yeah. Yes. They realize and they see the importance of playing and allowing students and young people to play, yes. to imagine, to think outside the box because in that way the possibilities are endless when it comes to what they can be what we can be as a society it's exciting then instead of this doom and gloom that we always feel it's like look we can do this let's do it oh yeah, yeah this is so interesting i have never thought about this before that the value in sports when you think about the commercial value, period, I'm just thinking about it in terms of this conversation we always have in classical music, which is we can never get enough support. We can never get enough support. Someone will pay, people use this argument all the time. Someone will pay $200 to go to a football game, but they would have zero interest in coming to see. Well, that's because they have created this value that goes beyond what those guys are doing on a field. They are creating something together as a unit. And music has all of those elements Plus, it creates emotional range within a human being that cannot be accessed right. anywhere else, mm -hmm. right? And so if you create that value, if you press that value, that becomes more noticed by a larger community and could potentially create really big things for us. And Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms, that music will get better 
if the focus is on what we're doing as a community, as opposed to, did I play this phrase exactly as warmly and openly and beautifully as I needed to, you know, I mean, it's so, it's so interesting. I've internalized that just in this conversation in a way I hadn't before. So really appreciate this. And it keeps going because then today, and you've created a demand and let's say you've got a whole community where the parents, because parents are are smart. They'll look over what their kids are doing. And they're just saying, Johnny's been doing this and now Johnny is off doing this and all because he had access to these things. Then it's like, well, how can I get that here? So people wonder like, how well, there's not enough government funding. Well, do we, I mean, I, this is going to be a very controversial thing, so I'm brace yourself. We're here for this, it. This is a trigger warning for anyone out there. But do we deserve that money mm. right now? Mm-hmm. Right. Because I will challenge you that there will be many in the community who say we do not. Yeah. And that is our fault as an industry. Yeah. Mm. I might, Does that make sense? I might say that too. <laughs> I might honestly say that. <laughs> I'm not afraid. In terms of the impact you're talking about on a community, do we do that successfully? Correct. Does someone giving Correct. their tax money, do we deserve their tax money? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Do we? Correct. That's a good question. And there will be some who will automatically say, absolutely, because we maintain this greatness and we maintain this, but that's generally because we've decided that. And here's the deal. (laughs) I think it's great that my whole life has been dedicated Mm -hmm. to it. However, I think it's a missed opportunity for us not to explore these other conversations about why we are great and how we can be great in a community that does not force us to change who we are or what we do. Instead, it opens up the possibilities of who we are and who we can be. Mm. And um, then it's very exciting. And so again, without having to change anything at all, what we do, and to your point, it makes it greater because there's better access. When there's better access, there's more diversity. And when there's more diversity, it will automatically get better. Because in any environment, there's a beautiful speech by Yo-Yo Ma in a Nancy Hanks lecture where he talks about when two ecosystems meet, it's the edge effect. Where they meet, you'll have the most variety in life, the most resilience that can handle both. So I know there's some people who are anti-diversity. I think that's very strange because I think if you just look at history, the diversity of thought and communication that way has only made civilization become better and better. So that goes back to your point to that's how Bach, Beethoven and Brahms gets better because it gets new insight. It gets new culture. It gets a different approach and we can express in ways that we didn't even know were possible. Yeah. Absolutely. I do want it to be in every community. And so every young person have access to this great art and not limited to just classical music. I like to talk about music literacy where students just learn the basis of how to play, how to make a good sound. And then you make the music that you want to. Mm -hmm. And again, that, Mm -hmm. that to me, I mean, you have composers writing and we start to get this blending and it's just exciting about what could become of all that. People ran out on Stravinsky and Rite of Spring, and now he's one of the most celebrated pieces that we play in the repertoire. And they called Beethoven the revolutionary, <laughs> and we are the antithesis of revolutionary yes! as an industry. <laughs> yes. They say he broke all the barriers, he broke all the rules. And we refuse to do that. Yeah. <laughs> even yeah. when we play, <laughs> even in some some groups when you play Beethoven, it's like, he marked this exactly this way. Like, how dare you reinterpret what Beethoven said? Well, he probably would have been okay with it. I don't know. I was... <laughs> We got into this cycle, I feel like, for a long time where we were just trying to, like, duplicate success yes. instead of trying yes. to create something new and evolve. And I think, honestly, I think that's what all this orchestral training has been. Yes. <laughs> like we all learn how to play these excerpts and that's yes. what your grade depends on. And right. it is not exciting. 
It is not exciting <laughs> to practice excerpts and to gear yourself towards this, you know, towards the test, towards the audition test. Right. But this idea of going back to the time where composers were improvisers and composers were performing their own work and all this is very exciting. And I love to see, it is. Love to see the, the evolution of our field that way. A little bit. It is. Like that is so exciting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a bit of renaissance going on, at least in certain communities. I don't know if it's made it all the way out to everyone yet, but I do yeah. feel there's a shift in the tide and I hope we're capitalizing on it. You know, I think a lot of us as educators now are starting to, you were, I'm sure, Joe, one of the first people to kind of be on the forefront of this concept of, yeah, I'm starting a youth music endeavor, but it's not about turning out more musicians. It's about making better people. <laughs> but a lot of us as, as music educators now feel that way. I've definitely, yeah. and I don't know if our listeners, I'm sure can resonate with this too, where I've had instances with students where I sort of would be on this mental track of, well, this is what they need to do. They need to go from this step to this step to this step. And I need to get them in this festival and I need to get them applying to this school or whatever. And right. you're just watching them. And it's like, you're trying to squeeze somebody into a box that they don't want to be in. They just want to be musicians. And they don't really yeah. know what that yeah. means for their future. And I think that the younger people, high school age today is a fascinating generation because they are very global in a way. They have so much access to information and they see all of these different paths that they could theoretically take. And so they're making some decisions to do things a little differently. And if we can encourage that, if our generation can encourage that, that's got to be a good thing for growth yeah. in, ter in terms of our evolution as a conscious, diverse people. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's the next, what's on the edge for you? What are you exploring? <laughs> what's new to you? I mean, it's, uh, there, there's so many thoughts here because um, I feel like I've reached this climax area about what is the next step. And I, I almost want to say, let's have another, we could do this again in like a year. <laughs> <laughs> When the, when the dust is settled, but I might have a project or two up my sleeve and some other things going on to address some of the topics as discussed on this here podcast. Oh, okay. So we'll need to, so we'll <laughs> so try to, tuned. so I'll email you tomorrow to book next year's conversation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get on your schedule. I must say, I really respect and appreciate how you were very specific about your time. And I think that's really important as somebody who likes to go out and be active in your community. You clearly take on a lot between your performance career and your education and outreach. We've been fortunate enough to build the organization enough so that we were able to, a year ago, hire our first full-time executive director. <gasps> Congratulations. So for the first time... Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's very, we're very Huge. exciting. And she's really, really, really terrific. And Great. it's been wonderful having her as part of the organization. But so that now, instead of having all these things sitting on my shoulders and just running the day to day, I actually, my title now is founder and vision advisor. Oh, oh, so oh, I, I actually have space to help provide a, the vision for the organization and then put the pieces together to make these things come to fruition. And that's one thing if I can leave to your, leave your audience is you do want to work really hard. You do want to really work really hard. And I was protective about my time. I, I apologize. No. It, was, it did take a little time. Do not, to get do where we not are. apologize. It's, no. it's so vital. And we don't learn how to be protective yes. of our time. So in all that work, it's a cliche phrase, but it actually makes sense. Work smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. I think because of music school, we're like, if I'm just doing something, that means it's good. 
And sometimes if we're just doing something, it's almost like bad practice. It's not actually helping us get better or get us to where we need to go. So be constantly planning, constantly building so that maybe one point, if you have a venture, you have the person who can run it, you can then be able to provide your own input, the vision of that organization, and then use that as a strategy for other projects. We don't have the time or the bandwidth to be in the weeds of everything. Yes. At first, we you have to be in the weeds of everything. Yeah, you have to be. <laughs> you yes. Have to be. Yes. But as you grow, we can't be in the weeds of everything. Otherwise, there's no way you can get it all done. Okay. You're yeah. hired for our life coach. <laughs> It's this is it's literally would be my life goal to be the vision advisor of anything I, I do. I want to be the vision advisor. Yes. That is my new life ideas. goal. Yeah. Oh my goodness, this conversation uh, has great. been incredible. It's been great. Well, I thank you for um breaking my podcast drought. I think this is my first podcast in a while. Oh, oh good. Since the, well, we're happy the depths of the pandemic. I don't think I've done one. So thank you for pulling me out of my podcast, The Hibernation. Yay. Uh, it was a joy to speak with both of you. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been lovely. Thank you so thank much, you. Joe. We, we, we really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. And thanks also to our season sponsors, ArcRest, Potter Violins, and Aria Lights. Another thanks to Alto Clef Gifts, where you can purchase viola-centric shirts and mugs and a variety of other fun items featuring our beloved Alto Clef. If you loved today's episode, consider writing us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want the chance to hang with us and have access to behind-the-scenes audio and video recordings, check out our new Patreon. The Viola-centric theme music was written and produced by J.P. Wogeman and is performed by Steph and myself. Thanks again for listening. Let's talk soon.